You're listening to a Discourse ZA production. Hi, I'm Bryman Williams, and we're back with the small print. And today, my guest is Peter Easton. And as normal, we always ask our guests to introduce themselves. So, how would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, sure. So, my name is Peter Easton. I'm an economist. Uh, a researcher, a university lecturer at, uh, in Hungary called the University of Budapest. And uh, actually me and Bronwyn, uh, we host a, a, a monthly podcast in, on interintellect or called the Dead Economist um, um, Society. And uh, so I'm very much, uh, obviously I'm interested in economics because I'm an economist. Um, I'm more on the micro side uh, price theory and, and things like that. And, uh, but I'm also interested in uh, philosophical issues, uh, politics, uh, science, and, and, and uh, things like that. So it's, it's, it's nice to be here chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining us on the show. Now, the reason that I invited you on is that you're obviously based in Hungary, and I'm quite obviously based in South Africa. And what we've established really through a lot of our discussions through the Dead Economist Society is that there are quite a lot of parallels between South Africa and Hungary. As much as, you know, every unhappy family is unhappy in its own unique way, there are still quite a lot of ways that those unhappy families or unhappy economies are also unhappy together. And I think it's been quite obvious that when we have these conversations that you and I, coming from less functional markets and economies, have a different sort of understanding or take on a lot of economic and political issues to what people who come from more prosperous or more secure economies might look at what's going on in the world. But to start off with, because I think a lot of people listening to the show are based in South Africa and we're quite familiar with our own challenges in terms of corrupt politics and terrible economics. I mean, we've just come up with the data as of the last couple of weeks that show that we're now the world leaders in unemployment. So I think we're quite familiar with all of those challenges. But I think that a lot of the people listening to this show are not quite so familiar with what's gone on in Hungary lately. So maybe you could just take a couple of minutes to sort of set the scene and explain what is dysfunctional in your society at the moment or, and what is more functional? What is what is going on in Hungary at the moment? Because I know there has been quite a lot that has happened oh, yeah. over the last year or so. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, especially the last 10 years or so, a lot of things has happened. Uh, I mean, it, it's dysfunctional at many levels, but uh, most of all, uh, there are a lot of uh, crony capitalism in Hungary. So uh, a few... Uh, uh, so-called entrepreneurs uh, getting very rich very suddenly uh, at, uh, at the, and, and it's they're connected to the government so it's very obvious how they got rich and so there's not really uh, free competition and I think when you observe that you really uh, come to appreciate uh, the power of, of free competition and I stress that free competition so that everyone can compete on a, on a level playing field because that's not really the case in Hungary, although there are sectors where it's very still kind of, well, not, not exactly free market, but like a market functioning market economy. So like we have a I don't know, retail sector, but it's mostly because there are all those multinationals, they are functioning really well. Um, so uh, we have parts of the economy which are functioning quite well, but overall, uh, there's just too much crony capitalism. Uh, the rule of law situation is not very good. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of 
not sure the same, but it's kind of, I, I think South Africa has, has these problems as well. So we are like the black sheep of the European Union, uh, together with Poland. Uh, so lots of rule of law issues, a government trying to influence, uh, well, the judges, but they are not, they're not extremely successful at that. So we, hear, we still have a functioning judiciary system. Like we are not a dictatorship. Some people say that we are a dictatorship. I, I don't agree with them, but we are like not a fun, not a well-functioning liberal democracy. That's how I would put it. So uh, you, you can say whatever you want. So there is freedom of speech, but many uh, many media, although I think most of the media, the printed media at least, not, not the online media. The online media is quite diverse. Uh, but the printed media is very much um, dominated by by government friendly uh, players. So the, the the thing is, you can say whatever you want. You can start a, a newspaper. You can okay, but but you just won't reach that many people. So that's that's how how the government is trying to influence the media, uh, the, the the news market. Okay, so. But there are a lot of these, lot of kind of uh, misunderstandings about Hungary because, um, like many people would, would, would uh, many people are surprised that it is more subtle, right? It, it's it's not like okay, you have like either you have a liberal democracy or you have a, like a dictatorship, but it's like much more complex, I would say. And I, I think that's maybe that in South Africa it's it's kind of similar. That you, you can't really uh, have this dichotomies anymore uh, it's, it's more complicated i would say yeah exactly so we have a technical democracy but we have a ruling party that has an outsized majority which gives yeah. them sort of effectively a one-party rule even though we they have been democratically elected to that position but our government is we'd probably say uh, center left or actually quite a bit left these days whereas your government has been portrayed in the international media as being a more right-wing government is this accurate because i know that hungary has been held up by various factions of the international press in the, the sort of more weird developed west as being either a poster boy or a pariah depending on what side of the political factions that you that you land on what sort of government do you have at the moment can you just describe what that is because i must say from a south african perspective we do not hear about what's going on in Hungary. We hear a lot about yeah. what's going on in places, other parts of Europe, other parts of Africa, but most yeah. of us have very little idea. We only know what has been filtered through really the American press, which is quite yeah, a political we have, well, we have We have the same thing with South Africa or places like South Africa. I mean, we don't, people in Hungary don't read the South African press, right? right? So uh, I think most people have no idea uh, about it. About Africa at all, okay? So, we 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 yeah, we, we the same. We got the news from American or UK based media. So, uh, but I mean, yeah, they are right wing. Uh, they are a peculiar uh, type of right wing, really, because they are not like they're not really like free market type uh, government, um, pro market or or uh, liberal conservative or whatever you call it, but. Uh, they call themselves, uh, they actually once called themselves illiberal. So it's not like a swear word for them, but rather a point of pride. Uh, and they are culturally, they are very right-wing. So, um, but I, I, I'm never sure whether it's just a, a posture or they're really serious about it. So 
so lately we had a new law which kind of forbids to uh, teach uh, children uh, uh, teach children among, about, about homosexuality. Uh, so it's, it's, it was written in a in a law about uh, we did a law about pedophilia, and so it was in a package, right? So it was packaged uh, with a, an anti-pedophilia uh, measure. Uh, and so I, I, I'm not sure whether they are serious about it or is it just a, kind of a, a posture, uh, this kind of Christian conservative, uh, and that's why, and that's why, like American, some some American conservatives like Orban uh, because they see in him uh, someone who really, uh, really could challenge the left liberal establishment. Um, and there is some truth to that, uh, but how he has challenged—it's not. It wasn't very. It wasn't in a very liberal, democratic way. So I would rather I would urge the the American conservatives not to not to look at, up on him as a as an example. But but some of them do like him a lot. I mean, Tucker Carlson was here in Hungary a few uh, few weeks ago. Uh, he he broadcasted from Hungary a whole week. And he kind of sing, he sang the praises of the Hungarian government and the Hungarian system. So, uh, so yeah, they are right wing, but they are not like, uh, for example, in economic policy, they are pretty hybrid. Like they 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 have some, like they they did some. I think they did some good things as well. Uh, what you might call uh, market neoliberal reforms. But they also nationalized. They also uh, introduced new, new new taxes of multinationals. So it's, it's a kind of a hybrid uh, uh, way of governing. Um, so it's very hard to categorize them to kind of say whether how, how I mean what sort of right they are right wing, but how, what sort of right wing government they are, it's very hard to to say. Yeah, because of course you've got those different different questions, whether it's sort of progressive in terms of economic policy or in terms of social policy. I think we've got quite a different government here. We've got some of the most progressive laws in terms of gender rights and marriage rights and, and all of those sorts of things here. So we're very socially progressive, but our economic policies are tending more and more socialist which ha comes with its own set of challenges. I mean, at the moment we are debating, and it actually seems to be moving through Parliament at the moment, the expropriation without compensation bill, which effectively undermines all property rights, not just property rights of land, but also potentially things like property rights when it comes to intellectual property rights. So we've got quite a precarious sort of economic foundation there in that if you don't have secure rule of law over rights of property and access to your own finances, it becomes quite difficult to invest and to attract investment from other parts of the world. Maybe you can talk about what's going on with Hungary in comparison to the rest of the European Union. You mentioned earlier that you are the sort of black sheep there. What makes you so different to your neighboring nations? And what are some of the points of economic conflict going on there at the yeah. moment? Yeah, so I think what makes Hungary different is that there is a, uh, there's an endangerment of the rule of law in general. And in particular, uh, there isn't really a level playing field in the political market and in, even in the private market. So I've already mentioned the media 
So in a, in the news markets or the old, uh, the media markets, you have une you have an uneven playing field. So uh, players who are close to the government they have an advantage. It's not like it's, there is no censorship or anything like that. It just it's just uh, lopsided, okay? And I think that's kind of that kind of thing which is going on is kind of what differentiates Hungary from many countries in the European Union. So. Like a few years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, when I was, it was still early in the Orban years, and I'm just talking with, uh, and in that time, some people from the, for example, from the UK said, "Oh, well, it's the same in the UK because like there is a party which is strong and there is an opposition which is like weak and incompetent and so on." But Okay, so there are many countries like that, but Hungary is different in the sense that yes, we have a strong government. Yes, we have an incompetent, and I mean, you can say a lot of bad things about the opposition. I don't, I, frankly, I don't like them. I, uh, I, they do not really align with my uh, philosophical outlook, and so on and so on. But the difference is that we, the government here, made it very hard to actually challenge them. Okay, so it created an uneven playing field. So, and that's that's what differentiates Hungary. It also differentiates Poland somewhat. So Hungary and Poland are like two black sheep of the European Union right now. So, uh, yeah, but it's very, I, I mean, actually it's very hard to get a good understanding. I don't have, probably I don't have a good understanding of Hungary because it's very hard to get a good understanding, even if you are Hungarian. But if you, if you are not, then it's even more difficult because you you look at you look at it's very hard to figure out how things work here uh, because there are many, for example, there are many media outlets, especially in the internet, which are very critical of the government. And I, I mean, these are kind of the the operates freely. That is, but 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 there are in the print media. Uh, on the other hand, and, and the television channels, they are dominated by the government. Uh, so there are government-friendly uh, entrepreneurs, okay? I use the word entrepreneur in, in Skyacruz because they are, they, they gotta get their money from connections to the government. We uh, call ours tenderpreneurs. We have quite a similar system of the politically connected. Very, yeah, very, <laughs> very droll, yeah. Okay, so yeah, we have these tender premiers as well, and and they dominate a large part of the of the, of the print media, especially the print. I mean, the, especially older people uh, still read mostly the print media and watch television and and so on. And so they really, among these demographics, it's really hard to challenge the government or the opposition. So. Uh, there are many other things going on in Hungary, but uh, one more thing which is very interesting is that the, the government is always campaigning. It is it's always in a campaign mode. Okay, so never never mind that we still have like two, uh, like now we have one year to the next election, but like last year or the previous year, they were always campaigning about something. Uh, whether it was George Soros or uh, Brussels, or I don't know. There was always some enemy, okay, which had to be defeated. And that's kind of, that's also different from many countries. 
So we, we always have a cafe. And kind of the, the, I think the government's doing this because they always want the opposition to react in some way, which will be advantageous to the government. And this, this is all, they almost always succeed in that because, you know, the opposition party, the left, the left leaning or left liberal parties, they are, they're not, not very much, I, I'm not saying they are stupid, but like, they have these reflexes, okay, which it's like Pablo's dogs, like they, you, you kind of push a button and they react in a certain way. It's a similar what Trump was doing, actually. So Trump would say something and all the left, all the progressives and left liberals would, would get would go crazy. And it was actually good for Trump most of the time. So Orban is doing something very similar. And these, yeah, these, people so, are, uh, these, these people are learning from each other, right? So there's this... Uh, like a populist playbook. Yeah. I mean, we see yeah, this here. Yeah. That, that's also a reason why our ruling party is still in power, in that the oppositions are either extremely populist or extremely unpopular. So in other words, although people might not like the current government we have, we don't really have any viable, playable options to, to vote for otherwise. It's sort of, it's the best of what we've got, which it sounds like it might be slightly different in your case. In your case, would you say that your ruling party is more the populist party? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, opposition party, to, for, to my taste, they are also kind of populist, like, they engage a lot of demagoguery. Uh, but yeah, the Fidesz is kind of, it's considered a quintessential, uh, the Fidesz is a ruling party and they are considered a quintessential populist party. And they served as a, as a role model to many populist countries in the Europe, within the European Union. Now they are kind of toted as an example uh, by people like Tucker Carlson and other like Fox News uh, TV hosts. Uh, Not the sort so, of alliance partners you want, right? <laughs> yeah. So, 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 yeah. So, they are, they are considered a quintessential populist party. And they are doing, doing it very well, actually, because they are in government and still they are leading, like, they are leading these campaigns against certain kind of uh, uh, targets, which outside are outside enemies, even outside <laughs> enemies, which, which, which are either real or imagined. But they're very, really very good at it, you know. Uh, so being, because it, it can be hard being in government and being populist at the same time, because like you are governing the country, so who, who are you against? And it turns out you can be against a lot of things like George Soros or the immigrants or whatever. So they're doing it very well. Uh, and, uh, the opposition parties, like they are doing populist stuff too, because like right now they're campaigning on the 99% versus the 1%, like this kind of this stole this slogan from Occupy Wall Street. And I, I don't think it makes any sense. I mean, uh, I mean, our problem is not that we have a 1%, but uh, I mean, that, that, that's just my philosophical outlook. I, I don't, I'm not bothered by. 1% versus 99%, but the, my, our problem is how the 1% got its money, right? That's, that's, I mean, that's the issue that we should, you should, they should uh, emphasize. It's not that, because they got, I actually, income inequality is not that big in Hungary. 
So that's not the problem. Problem is uh, many people who get uh, get rich, they get rich by uh, by exploiting their connections, their political connections. So that's the that's the problem. Okay. That, I mean, that's my. So how deep do those patronage networks go? Because those sorts of problems are quite similar to what's happened with the destruction of the economies and the political systems of many of the South American nations too. It sounds like a quite a similar sort of problem there. The problem with corruption and patronage networks is that once those networks are built, you can't really get rid of them even by replacing the political party in charge because those arteries have been built and they are now being fueled and being filled. So it becomes a sort of self-sustaining cannibalistic parasitic system can you see any way to break those patronage corruption gravy train networks is there any sort of reasonable plan on how you can unravel that and i think that's something a lot of countries are grappling with oh well i mean the the, the left the left wing opposition they talk they talk every day i mean all day long about uh holding uh, holding all these people responsible uh, or accountable but I don't think they are they, they won't have an easy time doing it and actually I I'm kind of cynical on that because I, I maybe they just uh, change the these oligarchs to their own branch uh, so I, I I'm not sure they can do this I mean uh, it's as she said. It's really deeply entrenched at this point. So even if mm. even if there's a new government, they are, it's very hard to break this this web of connections which have have been uh, developed in the past past decade. Okay, so I'm not very optimistic on that. I mean, uh, people say that okay, well. Uh, and that, I mean that's something that that actually op- I mean, the opposition politicians realize that when they say that they do not want merely a change in government, they want a regime change. A regime change it doesn't <laughs> sound so it doesn't sound so good after the Iraq war, right? But 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 like they want to kind of change the system, but I'm not sure it's very I'm not sure they are going to do that, frankly. Um, and by the way. They, when they were in power, like in between uh, two thousand, between two thousand and two and ten, there was a lot of corruption, and not as much as now, but but the difference was they didn't have a two-third majority, okay, and Fidesz has a two-third majority, and you can do a lot of things with a two-third majority in this country, so that's I, I, I I'm maybe I'm cynical, but I just don't. I don't really see the opposition as well. The, these are the good guys, and they are like going to change the system. Yeah, uh, maybe they are just more incompetent, and they, they couldn't they couldn't develop this patronage system as successfully as Fidesz has done. That's a good point, right? I mean, you prefer to have an incompetent, corrupt government than a competently corrupt government, right? I mean, it's a very cynical point of view, but some of us, when that, when those are the sort of choices we're given between the competent and incompetent corrupt, sometimes it's better to choose the incompetent side because at least they can do, they're less good at, at doing damage. I think uh, many of us that live in less than perfectly functional sort of societies might, might agree with that. 
But maybe it's worthwhile just having a slightly more productive conversation about what actually went wrong. Because I think a lot of those challenges in terms of patronage networks, corruptions, over large majorities of the ruling party and government that just allow so much temptation to creep into the system. I mean, you have to be almost have almost superhuman morality to, to be able to say no to those sorts of opportunities for self and party enrichment. And we have to kind of be realistic about that from an incentive point of view. And as you and I have both studied economics, we understand how incentives do change the game and what's happened. And I think that a lot of the commonalities between the dysfunction in your society and in mine come down to the fact that we've allowed government to get involved with business. The government yeah. is no longer the rule maker. It's also a player on the field. And when the referee is also allowed to kick the ball and share in the winnings of the, of the goal, you create these terrible incentives. So would you agree that when it comes to sort of the nationalization of industries and government sort of blurring the boundaries between who is the, the rule maker and who is actually a participant in the market is, is one of those sort of critical points. And unfortunately, it seems to be sort of a, like an unraveling, like or like when you break an egg, it's, it's easy to break an egg. It's very, very difficult to get yeah. everything back into the shell. In fact, it's pretty much impossible. So would you agree with that? Or are there some of the other the other issues that you see have gone wrong that have led to the creation of these dysfunctional yeah. systems? So I, I would say two things. First, this is what what you just said is, is very much true. And that is why I'm not, I'm disheartened by, uh, by, uh, about, the, uh, about the opposition parties. They are all, uh, not all, but like most of them are like, fairly strongly left-wing and they don't see a problem of the government getting involved too much in the economy. They even want, some of them want more of it. So they they call the Fidesz, uh, the leading part, the ruling party, they call it neoliberal, okay? Uh, but they call everyone a neoliberal, so like... It's just an uh, insult. You can call anyone you yeah, don't like I mean, neoliberal, yeah, right? But, but so, <laughs> At least it is too neoliberal to them. So you can imagine that they want, they would like to have a like universal basic income. Uh, uh, some of them would like to have nationalization. Some of them, like, so it's kind of more government intervention into economy. And, and they don't realize that once you have that, and you don't have a very good institutional uh, structure, you, you don't have, like very robust institutions, then you're going to get corruption, you're going to get patronage. Uh, I'm not saying no matter what, but it's very easy then to kind of- Very tempting. It's it's yeah. very, the incentives are all there. So, I mean, they, they kind of look at the Scandinavian countries, but it doesn't make any sense if you, if you, have, if you are in Hungary, you're not going to be like Sweden. Uh, by the way, if you are in the United States, you're not going to be like Sweden either. So it's like these countries in Northern Europe, they are really, really special. So you don't just, just can't reproduce of what has probably worked there or kind of not, they have a large, large government, a large redistribution without destroying their country, although they did scale back because they realized that they, they have gone too far in the 1970s, but, but if you if you are hungry, you just can't do that. I think. I mean, uh, you really have to downsize government. That's my my view. And, and the other thing which happened is that 
really the the left leading the left liberal coalition uh, in uh, between 2010 and 10, uh, 2002 and 10 they were really really incompetent so and they also had corruption uh, not not that much but uh, and and the fides norba likes to point back at that uh, era and saying okay so you want that to return of course you don't want that to return so you vote for us and and another thing which is not so much economics it's it's much more like just just human nature that the right uh, the right in hungary they they have been very frustrated by the positions that the left liberal side had developed in the media in the universities uh, in the within the economic elite and they they felt that they were prosecuted in some sorry persecuted in some way and they were not like like i mean not like literal persecution but like they were in a minority position in these institutions and it's very similar to how the trump supporters are feeling about uh, the liberal media and all that so and that's it's why so personal <laughs> yeah so that's why they they like that's why they very many of them like Orban because Orban really took on this like left liberal uh, intelligentsia uh, and uh, they justify a lot of things uh, using this story that uh, appealing to this story that the day the left liberals were in power for so long and they had the uh, the academically, the business elite, uh, the newspapers, the media. There is some truth in that. Not, not, not really. I mean, it's not literally true, but there is some truth in that. And now they kind of their power is 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 broken. And then, okay, so it's it, that that's kind of their way of justifying a, a lot of what they are doing in the past decade. Okay, so that that. And, and it's to them, it's very deeply, deeply uh, it's, it's also emotional to them that and they felt that they were not given a chance within, within the elite. And now they are developing their own elite and making, uh, making this elite the, the lead, uh, the dominant in the country. And to them, it's fair game. I mean, I think, I do believe that they actually do believe that it's fair game, that they create this uh, unlevel playing field because they think that they've been discriminated against in the past, okay? And I think it's a genuine feeling for many of them. Now, that that's just reiterates a lot of what's going on in politics at the moment, where everything is very binary, whether you're either a winner or a loser, and there's no sort of gracious winning. So when one particular side or party gets into power, they use that power to demean and belittle the people who didn't vote for them. I mean, we've, used, we've heard the language that politicians use, like deplorables to speak of people that don't vote for them. I mean, like you're obviously going to create huge amounts of resentment, but that's not very healthy for for a nation to have at any point in time, almost half your country feeling like a victim or feeling like an oppressor at any at any given point yeah. in time, right? You, that's not healthy. And that, that leads to more extreme political and economic policy, right? Because you're basically playing to only a portion 
of your populace. I think this is a general problem with party politics in general, because you're voting for a colored t-shirt. You're not voting for a set of policies or ideas that you truly do believe in. And that's usually divisive. Do you see any sort of potential for anyone in your political horizon coming to sort of bridge that divide? Or are everyone, all the different players that are options to vote for in the future, just driving further and further towards the populist polls on either side? Yeah, I mean, there was, there is a movement, like there is a party called Momentum, which is, has nothing to do with Jeremy Corbyn's uh, uh, branch of, of supporters. Um, they were, uh, they are, they are really a party of young people. So their leaders are like around 30 year olds, like very similar to my age. Uh, like I'm friends with some of them. So I, I know them quite a lot. And they kind of started out saying that, well, we want to bridge these divides, this left-right, nationalist, internationalist uh, divide and things like that. But I don't think they have been successful. So. When I, when I look at them, they really, uh, most of their talking points are like progressive, uh, standard progressive talking points. So I don't see them bridging any, 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 any gaps here. Yeah, that's a problem with our party politics system. There doesn't seem to be any option. That, well, there's no reward or incentive for being in the middle. You only win votes by being divisive yeah like <laughs> the only the only thing that they do which is probably bridging uh, bridging divide di bridging the divides is like going to going to football games uh, as a hungarian to to cheer for the hungarian team and that's that's kind of uh, the old day in the old days the left liberal elite didn't do that because they kind of looked down on football and uh, and all these nationalistic sentiments. And now they are these young people, uh, these young politicians, they, they make a point of going out to the football games and cheering the Hungarian team. And I think that's great, but, uh, but that's, I, I, I don't think that's really enough. It's like, it, it is, it's a good symbolic point, but like most of their talking points, they really got uh, melted into this, uh, left-wing, left-liberal, progressive uh, side, and they are, they are now considered fairly uh, this kind of, kind of a le le social liberal or, or progressive party. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, that we have, we have that, but it's the, I don't think they lived up to this promise that they, they are going to kind of bridge that divide between left and right and conservative. We blame the center. <laughs> yeah, so they are not, I mean, I don't see right now. Uh, anyway, there are there are like media outlets, uh, in uh, which try to kind of appeal to, not saying both sides, but kind of try to not be so dogmatic. Uh, there are people like like there are individuals. I would say now. I mean, I don't see there are movements who are really. Bridging the bridging the divides, but there are people, individuals, who are who are doing this, who are like try to not looking at not uh, not looking at everything from this tribal perspective. So there is some hope, but uh, it's really divided right now. Hungary is really really polarized. Uh, 
That's why Fidesz is keep Fidesz keeps winning because they can mobilize their supporters in a very effective fashion. Okay. It's not like they have like the majority of people on their side, but they have like at least one third of the country. There is another third of the country which is strongly anti-government. And there's a third third which is like whatever, like apathetic. Uh, yeah, that, and that's the dangerous part, right? When people sort of give up on even participating because they don't see a way forward to have their voice really heard. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's and, what and, I... yeah, but see, I mean, strangely enough, just uh, the current uh, parties are not very successful in integrating these people into the voting population. So... Because there are many people who are dissatisfied, dissatisfied with the government and also unhappy about the opposition parties. By, by the way, I'm one of them, but I'm just like, I'm not one of these apathetic groups because I'm not apathetic, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not really... Loving any of the options that are out no, there. I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm very unhappy with any of the options, okay? so The menu is not they, great. Interestingly, <laughs> interestingly there, I mean, there's always talk about, uh, about mobilizing people who are, who, who are dissatisfied with the government, but not really into these, into these lefting parties and to mobilize them to kind of, provide them an alternative, it just does never, never really uh, materialize it. I don't know why, but yeah. So, so we, 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 we keep having this kind of very, very polarized scene. But talk to me now around that whole sort of thing about apathy and hope and what's going on. How do people in Hungary like yourself feel about the future from an economic and a political perspective. Is unemployment trending up or down? Is the economy growing? Do you feel like there is a, a future where you can become more prosperous? Or are you feeling a sense of sort of helplessness and being kind of stuck where you are? How do people feel about the future of your country and about investing in it as individuals, not just as businesses, but you know, you're investing in whatever country yeah. you actually stick in and live in. Yeah, I mean, Hungarian pessimism is a thing. So it's it's something that uh, Hungary is famous for being pessimistic, Hungarians in general. So, um, and I'm not being very much an outlier on that, but, but uh, actually the economy looks like it's functioning well. It's, we have a growth rate, which are like a few percent growth rate, which is fine. Uh, but, uh, but what we do have really... Uh, Acute problems with the with uh, with the economy, like productivity, like most of the stuff which are made in Hungary are made by multinationals. I think that's fine. The problem is there are these kind of superstar firms, and uh, the domestic firms do not really live up to that challenge. They do not. They're really They're not very productive. Uh, kind of what you, you we might call entrepreneurial human capital. Is very low, so there are not very, not very many good entrepreneurs in Hungary. So that's why the multinationals are dominating the scene because they are really the ones who are productive. They are producing stuff. They are doing it very well, uh, and so on. But the Hungarian, 
the Hungarian guys did not. And there are general problems with human capital, like uh, we have really good schools for uh, people who are like middle class or above that. But for the lower classes, it's really, really bad. Like we have a large Roma population, for example, like almost one, maybe one tenth of the country, I think. And many of, many of these people are, are like functionally illiterate. And I say functionally because they are not illiterate, of course, because they, they learn how to write and calculate and all that stuff, but, but they didn't work. They can't really function in the labor market. That's the problem. And they can't really function well in life in general. So their, their education, their, their job prospects, their health, and all, virtually everything is really bad. And we have, that, that, that's a big issue to us because uh, part of the country is doing well, reasonably well. And uh, we have like, like we are, a, we are a first world country but like there are parts of the country which actually looks like Serbia, okay? So you look at the northern, northern and northern eastern parts of Hungary and a few villages there, and it's a, it's really appalling. It's like a whole different world, okay? And we we just don't seem to know what to do about it. And so that's that's a problem. So general productivity problems, their productivity problems. Problems with the education system, uh, taxes, uh, taxes on labor are really high. Although the, the Orban government, one of the things that I think were, were good things that this government have done, so they introduced the flat tax, but I don't think they have done this very, they have done this in an ideal way because uh, when they introduced it, they got a obviously the deficit has increased, so they try to kind of mend this deficit in some way. So they introduce new taxes on the banking sector, the retail sector and things like that. And of course, these are very, very inefficient taxes. So one thing which is good that they, they now there are, is low taxation of people who want to get ahead and want to produce, want to, want to learn, want to study and so on. But also there are like distortive taxes in other parts of the economy. And we still have like a huge, uh, uh, pretty large payroll taxes. And that's kind of keeps a lot of people from like from working and from earning money. And kind of uh, unemployment is re relatively fine. It's not, not very large. There are these like hidden problems there, which are strong, deeply structural problems with the Hungarian economy. And I think the main, I, actually, I think the biggest uh, sin or, or, or uh, yeah, omission that this government has done is not, not addressing these problems. Is it uh, easy to get ahead? Can, is there mobility between classes? If you want to make something of yourself, can you start a business? Can you go out there and do something? Or is there problems perhaps with things like red tape and being held back in that regard yeah, or I mean, lack of opportunity? Of, yeah. Yeah, a lot, lots of, I mean, we have lots of red tape. I mean, we are not the worst in this, actually, in, in, within the European Union. Like, look at France, for example, it's terrible. Okay, so we are not like France, but uh, there, there is a fair amount of red tape, excessive red tape. Uh, 
starting a business is not very easy. So if you look at this like World Bank rankings of doing business, it's, Hungary is not a very good place, although it's not, not horrible either. So it's not, not like the one of the worst. Uh, but there is that big problem with, with, with uh, intergenerational mobility. So, like if you are born in, like from lower middle class or middle class or upper middle class, you are probably going to be fine. If you are born in these uh, basically ghettos, uh, uh, well, it's very hard to actually uh, to get ahead from that. It's extremely hard because you don't have a decent, they don't have decent schools. They have a very dysfunctional family environment with parents who are either, either very uneducated or father may be in prison, okay? So, or being absent from other reasons. So it's very hard to do something about it. And it's going to be expensive if you want to do something about it, because then you want to do some like this uh, uh, early education problems pro programs, which uh, uh, I mean, uh, Jim Hackman, um, Chicago economist, has done work on that a lot. Because I mean, some of the problems in the uh, among the so-called lower classes in Hungary are kind of similar to to Black Americans. In, in the United States, but even worse. So they are in, they are in even worse shape, and and we know that there are ways to kind of mend these problems, but they are not very. They are not certainly not cheap. So, and but but, but I think that that's that's a major omission of the full political class because it's not just the government. It's like the opposition parties. They are talking a lot about education, but they don't realize that many of the disadvantages that these kids are coming with, they are there before the school starts, there before they start school, right? They are, they develop, these disadvantages develop between, between zero and five years. And then they just compound throughout the rest of your life. Exactly, exactly. Because they come from, families which are where parents are and uneducated, unemployed, uh, but not unemployed, basically inactive, basically. So not out of the neighborhoods very often. And uh, another pet peeve is that we always like increase the minimum wage. There is bipartisan support for that. And some of these, these increases are quite drastic. And I never, very, I, I don't support that really because like a lot of people in, in this part of the, the country where they're coming from these disadvantaged families, their productivity is really, really low. So they just can't, they, they're not going to be employed at the current minimum wage. Yeah. And like, you've also got yeah, a lot of problems there. Despite the huge unemployment rates, you've also got businesses that can't actually find labor that that is productive for what they require so you've got this sort of this growing divide and it's it just perpetuates inequality right the yeah. <laughs> insiders and outsiders yeah and like in the in, in Buda, you have like budapest and the western side of the country which is doing fine and their employers can 
very easily paid at minimum wage because the workers are quite productive. But like the northeastern part of the country, some Budapest districts, for example, like where these people, where it's very disadvantaged, these people with very disadvantaged background live, well, you're not going to employ these people because it's just too expensive. Yeah. So we have been talking for quite a long time, but I wanted to ask you, if you were if you were put in charge of the economic policy of your country, what would what would be the things that you changed if you had to pick, say, three? Three, yeah, okay. If you so, were given the job, now you have your finance minister, you go ahead and do what you need to do. <laughs> yeah, so I would cut, I'd probably cut the payroll tax and kind of institute a, within, together with that, institute a pension reform. So I will, I will, I will, I would reverse this tendency of renationalizing pensions toward kind of going more into the direction of private, private system. And the second is I would uh, I'll focus more on education, but not, not just like spending more money on education, but really introducing incentives into the education system, introducing more competition, more early education for the disadvantaged kids and things like that. And third, uh, I would generally regulate, regulate much less. And within that, for example, I don't think we should have a uniform minimum wage in, in, in this country because the country is just too heterogeneous for that. So for the, for the northern eastern parts, for example, I would, uh, if, if we have a minimum wage, and I'm realistic about that, that we're going to have a minimum wage, it should not People be the it. same. In, it should not be the same in Budapest than in the northeastern than in northeastern Hungary. I think I think that's quite clear. That there were people who actually made this suggestion before, and no one really listened. Uh, so maybe these are some some of the things I would do in the on, on the economic front. And then obviously, well, if I if I if I can get a force one, uh, I'm generous. something about. <laughs> Just not, I mean, just be less like less crudely capitalist in general. So, but then everyone says, everyone says that when they are in position and, and you have this uh, strong connect, if you have a strong connection between politics and the economy, you will very easily get a crudely capitalist system. So, that's the problem. So, I think that's well, the way to fix that is to. <laughs> Yeah. Give the government less money to spend and less things to spend it on, right? So yeah, but, that's, but that you, comes you, back you to want, nationalization yeah. question. Yeah, but you don't want like do it in a in a kind of a low lawyer sense that you kind of cut spending across the board at the same percentage or something like that. Because we have a lot of people who came from that very disadvantaged background. Now it's too late for them to to be really employable. So you need a safety net for that. Okay, but Absolutely. other than that, but I think other than that, you really would have you would want to have a smaller, smaller but more efficient kind of government. That's how that's where I would go. Separating business from from politics again, separating sort of social goods from going concerns, from profit making yeah. institutions. I think most of the problems creep in when your government thinks that it can compete with business. Make yeah, yourself exactly. a player in the said, game again. Yes, yeah, you said, <laughs> but the government is both a referee and a player. 
Uh, and people come, people always point that, oh, but the Germans, they have a good, uh, they, they have some governmental businesses that they do fine. Okay, but those are the Germans. Today, I'm not saying, I'm not saying the Germans are like better people, they are not, but like, but they had like century, but even then East Germany is, is like, is like East Germany has a lot of problems, although it's the same country as West Germany, right? So you can't have the same. So people point out, okay, but they have governmental businesses there, there, or there. And I say, well, you really have to design a system for Hungary. You're not designing a system for Germany or, or Sweden. So you, you, and we see that governmental businesses are not doing well in Hungary. And they are doing worse than private businesses. Uh, and we also see that, that when governments try to be a player, trying to pick winners and losers, uh, the end result is more corruption, more cronyism. And you can say there are countries where this is not true, maybe, but in most countries, this is going to be true. And you really have to you really want to have a robust system which protects against it. And I think that in a, such a robust system, you will have, want to have a government which doesn't try to, to be a, a referee and a player at the same time. Exactly. And I think that's a great point to end this today. I do want to give you a last opportunity to close off any of those thoughts that you didn't have the opportunity to complete. And then if you can also tell people where to find you if you want to be found after this. Oh, yeah, uh, so I have a kind of okay. So I have a, a, a kind of an official page at the Cornell University of Budapest where you can look at my research. Uh, I'm still developing a new uh, website for myself, so I, it's not out there yet because I'm kind of reworking it right now. And then you can you will find my papers. I have like I'm a research economist. Uh, I think I have some interesting papers, but I'm also you can check out. And that's kind of uh, advertisement for you as well. You can check out our uh, Inter Intellect Salon series with Robin, the Dead Economy Society, which is, I think, uh, we, are, we have had some great salons so far. Um, and well, I have some popular writings, but mostly they are in Hungarian. So that, but I'm, I think I'm going to start a blog. And okay, so I, and also I have a Twitter. so. You can reach me on Twitter. Uh, I, I, I tweet about many things, so you can follow me there. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you.